0: Why, Brian? <laughs> why, Brian lie? <sighs> Sigh. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling there's something right. I'm too scared in case I fall off my chair.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Well, right here at the Bradcast. Yes, you found it. It is the Bradcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSOW Cottage Grove, Oregon, 93 FM WLRI Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 Eighty-eight point five FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, the Awesome Radio or Not.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. Yeah, now it's usually hosted by your friend and mine, Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but today you've got me, Nicole Sandler of radioornot.com, where I host my own show live weekday mornings from 10 to noon Eastern, and always available as a podcast on YouTube or countless other ways anytime. But now, today, we're gathered together at the broadcast to help recap 2015. We'll get to that and our first, uh, well, subject matter of the year-end review. Uh, But first, we start with breaking news out of Cleveland, Ohio, where Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Timothy McGinty just held a press conference to announce the outcome of the grand jury investigation into last year's deadly police shooting of 12-year-old Tamir Rice.
2: Today, a Cuyahoga County grand jury completed its thorough investigation of the fatal shooting of the 12-year-old Tamir Rice on December 22, 2014 at the Codell Recreation Center. Based on the evidence they heard and the law as it applies to police use of deadly force, the grand jury declined to bring criminal charges against Cleveland police officers Timothy Lohman and Frank Garnbeck. That was also my recommendation and that of our office after reviewing the investigation and the law. A short time ago, we informed Tamir's mother of the grand jury's decision. It was a tough conversation. We again expressed the condolences of our office, the sheriff's detectives, and everyone else who has worked so diligently on this case, and our sincere wish that these events on that traumatic day at the Cadell Rec Center had unfolded differently. She was broken up, and it's very hard. We explained to her that this was a difficult decision also but that to charge police even a situation what was as undeniably tragic as the death of her son, the state must be able to show that the officers acted outside the constitutional boundaries set forth by the Supreme Court of these United States. Simply put, given this perfect storm of human error, mistakes and miscommunications by all involved, that day, the evidence did not indicate criminal conduct by police.
1: Mm. Obviously, not the outcome that we wanted to hear. Something has got to give, and in a big, major way in this country. Yeah, um, I'll tell you, I, I've put together my list of the uh, the biggest stories of the year, the stories that, as we um, sit back in this last week, the week between Christmas and New Year's, we try to uh, categorize what happened this year. I do believe that the police shootings of mostly unarmed, mostly black, mostly young men um, is one of those stories, one that uh, is more than a news story. It is a way of life that just shouldn't be that we will look into, um, uh, certainly one day this week. Before we move on to today's look back at media in 2015, I've got some more news for you as we kick off yet another week. And here we go again. Shy may not have been a great movie, but the name certainly fits, complete with the most inept being the ones charged with protecting everyone else. Yes, once again, all eyes are in Chicago, where the relatives of two black people who were fatally shot by Chicago police officers demanded answers from Mayor Rahm Emanuel on Sunday amid escalating tension over allegations of racial bias in policing. Quintonio LaGuerre, a 19-year-old college student who was visiting his father, and 55-year-old Betty Jones, a mother of five, were killed by police Saturday. Police were responding to a call after LaGuerre allegedly threatened his father with a baseball bat. Jones, who lived in the first-floor apartment, was shot through the door, according to her cousin, Evelyn Glover. Uh, Janet Cooksey LeGrier's mother, joined family members at a press conference on Sunday, demanding to know why police used lethal force. The police department is under federal investigation over officers' use of deadly force. And protests still happening regularly in Chicago, demanding the resignation of Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Stand by. Now, we may have a a number of mostly Republicans still denying climate change, although after... Uh, This holiday weekend, I don't know how they can. Now, scores are dead in these freak holiday storms. Tornadoes, flooding, and heavy snow killed at least 43 people across the Midwest. Over 1,275 flights were canceled, and thousands more were delayed by the severe weather over the holiday weekend. And just this morning, a friend of mine posted a screenshot of the weather screen on his phone, showing it at 36 degrees in Los Angeles this very morning. Something's wrong there. And um, finally, sad news uh, as we get into the final days of 2015. Meadowlark Lemon, the most famous face and clown prince of the Harlem Globetrotters, died Sunday at age 83 in Scottsdale, Arizona. The North Carolina native, known for his comedic timing, on-court pranks, and virtuoso basketball skills, played with the Globetrotters for 22 years. All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break and come back on the other side to begin our rear view look back at the year almost ended. (laughs) We'll we'll start our 2015 retrospective with a look at the media. Stick around. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. In for Brad Friedman on the (laughs) broadcast. that time of year again. Yeah, as we count down the final days of 2015, I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com in for Brad and Desi on the broadcast this week. And what we're going to do each day this week is take a subject matter or three and uh, look at how the news of the year informed that topic, such as it is. Today, we delve into the media. Love it, hate it. Call it liberal if you want. Today, we begin our journey through the past year with a look at what's wrong with our media. Let's start with one of the weirdest media stories of 2015. And it sort of started coming to fruition in January.
3: The story actually started with a terrible moment a dozen years back during the invasion of Iraq, yeah. when the helicopter we were traveling in was forced down after being hit by an RPG. Whoa. Our traveling NBC News team was rescued, surrounded, and kept alive by an armored mechanized platoon from the US Army 3rd Infantry. We were the northernmost Americans in Iraq. We were going to drop some bridge portions across the Euphrates so the 3rd Infantry could cross on them. Uh, two of our four helicopters were hit. By ground fire, including the one I was in. No kidding. Uh, RPG and, and AK-47. What what altitude were you hit at? We were only at 100 feet doing 100 forward knots because we had these massive pieces of wow. bridge beneath us on slings. What happens the minute everybody realizes you've been hit? Uh, we figure out how to land safely, and we did.
1: They did. Really? Okay, so now, uh, yeah, Brian Williams injecting himself into the news story so that was the 30th of january 2015 less than a week later it was february 5th and this happened
3: on this broadcast last week in an effort to honor and thank a veteran who protected me and so many others after a ground fire incident in the desert during the iraq war invasion I made a mistake in recalling the events of 12 years ago. It did not take long to hear from some brave men and women in the air crews who were also in that desert. I want to apologize. I said I was traveling in an aircraft that was hit by RPG fire. I was instead in a following aircraft. Uh We all landed after the ground fire incident and spent two harrowing nights in a sandstorm. In the Iraq desert, Uh-oh. this was a bungled attempt by me to thank one special veteran and by extension, our brave military men and women, veterans everywhere, those who have served while I did not. I hope they know they have my greatest respect and
1: also now my apologies. Uh, his apologies. Sorry, I clipped the end there. That is so unique. <laughs> now, let me just tell you, we in our house tend to watch the NBC nightly news. It's our last sort of bow to tradition, as it were. Um, And we saw when that happened, and David and I both looked at each other like, that's weird. That's creepy. And even one of Brian Williams' biggest allies, his old buddy John Stewart, um, had lots of questions. Bri. Why? (laughs) Why? Why, Bry?
0: Why, Bry? Lie? No. Sigh. <laughs> Were you, Bry? High? Uh-oh. Because if they keep finding, <laughs> Bry, <bri-bi>. by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it was Bry, by. Brian Williams was then suspended. Now. I got to say, everyone was saying, ah, this will blow over. They'll be back in the anchor chair. And I kept saying, Brian Williams will never sit in that anchor chair again. One more time, I was right. Now, Brian Williams did get back on the air in 2050. So early uh, February, he suspended indefinitely. They said, well, or actually, I think they said it'll be a six-month suspension. But I had said, along with others, that there's no way he's coming back. Well, he didn't come back to the NBC anchor chair. Got a hand it to NBC News, who gave it to Lester Holt, who was the fill-in, the weekend nightly news anchor. At some point before the six-month suspension was up, they gave the nod to Lester Holt, making him the first African-American anchor of a nightly news network program. Yeah, small victories, right? But cool. So there's Lester He of the giant forehead. I mean, Lester Holt has the biggest forehead on television. But that that aside, it was September 22nd that this happened.
3: And good day, I'm Brian Williams at MSNBC headquarters here in New York. In a short time, Pope Francis will arrive in this country for the first time. Yeah. The head of the Catholic Church of over a billion members. Holy Father to nearly 70 million Catholics here in the United States. He will first travel to Washington before moving on to New York and Philadelphia, all of it coming off a successful four-day trip to Cuba. And as part of our live special coverage, we will bring you his arrival just outside Washington as he is greeted by the president and first lady. It's all taking place where we used to call it Andrews Air Force Base these days, known as Joint Base Andrews. It R- is? Okay,
1: so anyway, there that was Brian Williams' return... To the airway, well, the cable, anyway, not the airwaves. He's not on NBC News anymore. Brian Williams now has the duty of bringing us breaking news on MSNBC. Yeah. Um, well, John Oliver, who is, I think, one of media's greatest treasures, who only rose in his greatness in 2015, he explained uh, what happened, uh, Brian Williams' um, return Uh, This was a truly historic
3: trip for the Pope, not least because he was directly responsible for a miracle. Just watch how his arrival was reported on MSNBC. And good day, I'm Brian Williams at MSNBC headquarters here in New York. Holy (laughs) s, he brought Brian Williams back from (laughs) the dead? Oh my, it's a miracle. Uh Uh-huh. You know what? I will say, hearing Brian Williams report something now is like reading about it in the New Testament. I I believe a man named Pope Francis exists, Uh but a lot of the details were probably embellished. Touché. for, For a man who has been off the air for so long, he spent a long time obsessing over one particular detail the magic of that that face and that smile and his touch his sense of touch the power of his touch the yearning to touch him this very tactile pope tactile Pope. her lips said i love you when Uh she met the pope so tactile
1: (laughs) i think i think brian williams wants to pet the pope oh no well so there was brian williams triumphant uh sort of return to the well, to our TV screens in 2015, relegated to MSNBC. Oh, MSNBC is a story unto itself in uh, 2015. MSNBC, the sort of the, the cable channel that couldn't quite, if you know what I mean. And so um, uh, uh, with all their tweaks over the years, uh, they brought in a new head honcho by the name of Andy Lack, well, Andy Lack decided, all right, we're going to change direction. No longer will we lean left. Not that they ever did. They leaned forward. But uh, they're not going to lean left any, anymore, at least um, during the daytime hours. They're going to be a straight, objective, breaking news channel, which if that's what they did, that would have been great. But that's not what they did. They Instead, they decided to be Fox Light. And in fact, if I can find... Um, Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, You know, the morning joke crew, they nailed it. Here's a morning jerk thanking their new boss, Andy Lack, for the Hard right turn. Oh How'd you do? What were some of the worst?
2: Um, he
0: works for MSNBC. Oh. He's always the worst. Not anymore, though, because no. things, have changed. things you, have
2: changed. Thank you, Andy. Thank
1: you, Andy. Uh, Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, so uh, n- now what MSNBC, oh, excuse me, MSRNC, oh, no, never mind, MST Rump has succeeded in doing is driving away whatever little audience still remained. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to late night again. I digress, as I tend to do. You heard John Oliver. Now, John Oliver, although he left The Daily Show um, in 2014, he resurfaced on HBO also in 2014, really proving himself to be the king of satire, political satire. There was a lot of shakeups in 2015, as you well know, in late night, right? Now, the debut of The Nightly Show.
2: The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. The world premiere starts now. Tonight, Lee,
4: the Oscar nominations are out, and they're so white a grand jury has decided not to indict them. (laughs) Oprah marched on Selma this weekend. She has a dream that Selma shall overcome the wedding ringer at the box office. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it did.
4: Yeah, we talked Selma Ferguson and Eric Garner. It's Comedy Central's Worst Nightmare. Brother finally gets a show on late night TV.
1: And I got to tell you, started kind of weak. He's got to work on Martin Luther King Day. Let's do this. Was that Martin Luther King Day? It was uh, January 20th, I I guess it was. Well, Comedy Central, you kind of got it half right. So the nightly show premiered with Larry Wilmore in the slot that used to um, hold the Colbert Report. But Colbert, well, we'll get to him in a few minutes. So there's the nightly show. Started off in a week. But by the end of the year, the nightly show has, in my view anyway, I mean, it's all my opinion, right? But surpassed The Daily Show in terms of being relevant, cutting-edge political satire, news presented in a way that kids can understand. All right, so there you go. So we start the new year with uh, The Nightly Show premiering. That was January 20th. Well, it was just a couple of weeks later, February 10th, brace yourselves, that this happened
0: Night 11. Uh, now, uh, I would imagine as this show is airing, there may be information out there right now that the audience might not be aware of. Uh, so I will uh, just tell you, uh, Doug Herzog, Michelle Gainless of Comedy Central gave me an incredible opportunity 17 years ago to pilot this wonderful franchise. And uh, I, uh, 17 years is the longest I have ever in my life held a job by 16 years and five months. Uh, thank you. The upshot there being, uh, I am a terrible employee. Uh, but, but in my heart, I know it, it is time for someone else to have that opportunity. And uh, that, that I told you they didn't know. You probably know. Uh, Not right away, Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, we're still working out details. Uh, I'm up in September, might be around then, might be December, might be July. We're we're still working out details. I don't have any specific plans. Got a lot of ideas, I got a lot of things in my head. I'm gonna have uh, dinner (laughs) on a school night with my family, who I have heard from multiple sources (laughs) are lovely people. (laughs) Um, you know, I I, I I'm not going to be here and and try and sum up what this place has meant to me over the years. But uh, I couldn't do that, and and we have plenty of time. And I've got myriad people to thank, and 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 we'll get to that over time. I'm not going anywhere tomorrow. Yeah. Oh. Um, but mm. this show doesn't deserve an even slightly restless host, and and neither do you. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to miss being on television every day. I'm going to miss coming here every day. Uh, and this is where uh, I love the people here. They're the best. They're creative and, and collaborative and kind. And, and that's alliterative, but it's cheating because it's a K. But you, 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 you understand what I'm saying. They're, I love them and respect them so much.
1: Uh, we love you, yeah. and, uh, and you heard him all getting, uh, choking up a little bit. Oh, the good old days. Yeah. Uh, what is this fluid? <laughs> what are these feelings? Uh, yeah.
3: Frankenstein angry.
0: <laughs> it's, it's been an, an, an absolute privilege. It's been the, the, the honor of my professional life. And uh, I thank you for, for watching it, for hate watching it. Whatever reason <laughs> you are tuning in for, uh, it, you get in this business with the idea that maybe uh, uh, you have a point of view and, and something to express and to receive... The uh, feedback from that is the, the greatest feeling you can ask for, uh, and I thank you.
1: That still gets me all choked up too. Hmm, we lost John Stewart this year. Well, sort of, you know what I mean. So what do you think was the biggest media story of 2015? We'll take a break and come back on the other side with Joel Silberman. Now, Joel Silberman is a media trainer instructor, strategist, you name it. He teaches people, public figures, um, uh, candidates for office, politicians, you name it. He teaches them how to use the media, how to be on camera, how to speak in those sound bites that the news shows love so much. Joel Silverman weighs in on 2015 In Media next. So don't go away. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad Friedman on the Bradcast.
3: One more, Nicole. She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern Time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime.
1: I couldn't think of any other song to lead into a segment on the media fails of 2015 other than Frank Zappa's I'm the Slime, oozing out of your TV set. All right, let's wait no further. Let's bring in the media expert himself, Joel Silberman, trainer, strategist, understander of the media to help us as we look back on the year almost gone by. Ah, Joel Silverman! Happy well, New Year, first there of all. Well, <laughs> we are. End of the year
4: wrap-up. Isn't yeah. this fun?
1: Oh boy. Yes, it can be. There's, uh, you know, the good and the bad. So I started with the Brian Williams story, which I really think is still one of the biggest media stories of the year. Could you ever imagine, like, Walter Cronkite or any of the greats from the news uh, media past, embellishing a news story to Um, include them to inject themselves into it?
4: No, but let's face it. Brian Williams has given Dan Rather pause to ask himself, why didn't he use the attorney that negotiated Brian Williams' contract?
1: Yeah, no kidding.
4: Because clearly uh, the Brian Williams contract was going to have to be paid off and uh, NBC, Comcast, uh, NBC Universal, uh, NBC, name a company that's bought them, Uh, Mitsubishi, uh, whatever.
1: Corporate
4: Media Inc. was not about to let someone just get paid for not working. So they decided, we can work off this contract. After all, we paid for that makeover, that makeup, those suits, that smile, that probably the dental work. (laughs) So since they did all that, they figured they might as well get their money's worth. And this was definitely a get your money's worth story. Uh, Brian Williams is not there because he is the most respected name in journalism. Yeah. He's there because he's, he's the highest pi- paid name in journalism. And they're yeah. going to pay him. Right. So there it is.
1: Yeah. And, the, and the, I mean, I love John Oliver's like, oh my God, the Pope brought Brian Williams back to life. I mean, oh, well, it, that's it
4: hysterical. I mean, the, 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 the John Oliver to me is the media star of 2015. Since he was on the air, I just think he's my favorite of all of them. Uh, I do say Larry Wilmore. I agree with you. Larry Wilmore started small and got a lot better. Yes. So much better. better.
1: He found his rhythm. He got comfortable. He was so uncomfortable for the first, I'm saying, month or two, where we stopped even. I mean, I gave him a chance at the beginning, then we turned it off for a while. And I came back. It's like, wow, what a difference. But sadly, Trevor Noah at The Daily Show. Has not grown on me yet. Seems like a, a likable enough guy. He's a good-looking man. He just doesn't have the background, I think, and the knowledge and the life experience to be the host of the Daily Show. I think those shoes are just too well, big for I think him.
4: We are really spoiled. Yeah, by, we are. You know, we had someone in John Stewart who was unlike anyone ever in television. I mean, the man broke ground in so many ways, and those are tough shoes to fill. I yep. mean, I don't think Trevor Noah's up to the job. No. I agree with you. At the same time, I have to say I don't, I, I, I have a lot of um, pity, I guess it would be the only word, mm-hmm. uh, for him, because yep. I think he's inheriting a very tough job. I wouldn't want to do it, and I consider myself somewhat funny, <laughs> but I think that it's really a very, very, very hard job. Not, oh, yes. not just a little hard. John has a satiric look at life. He is stand-up first. And then after being stand-up, he's a news junkie. Right. I mean, he really loved it. So he was doing what he loved to do. And I don't get that from Trevor. So that's just me.
1: Yeah, no, I don't get that either. I got to ask you this, though. Did you happen to see um, Stephen Colbert interviewed on Face the Nation yesterday?
4: Yes, I did. I and thought it was a fascinating interview.
1: I did too. The, the, but the thing that I was most fascinated about—see, I get Trevor Noah. I find not believable because he doesn't have—he didn't grow up here. He doesn't know American politics. So, or you know, the the one night when I thought it was just so disingenuous, he had Ted Koppel on. I've got nothing against Ted Koppel, but Trevor Noah was just salivating and and. You know, the brown nose was so apparent. He's like, oh, one of the best, the greatest, most respected voices in the American news media uh, in our lives, Ted Koppel. And I'm like, well, no, first of all, he really wasn't. But secondly, you don't even know. How would you know? You're reading the words that somebody else wrote for you. And that's the job. Except yeah. it was apparent that someone else was reading the words that they, you know, that he was reading the words someone else wrote for him. Yeah, it just doesn't ring true. It's, and and the, the camera, and you know this, Joel, um, and uh, I don't know that I've heard you say it, but it's my, always my advice to anybody looking to get into broadcasting. The microphone and the camera are the biggest lie detectors out there. If you're lying, they know.
4: Well, here's the thing. If you're lying, you had better be running for president in the United <laughs> States because they're professionals at it. Yes,
1: they've they are. done
4: this for a living for a long time and they oh understand how to do it and they're just practicing for what they have to do when they're in office. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think the camera tells the truth when you don't want it told. Mm-hmm. It sees things Your tells, as we would say in poker, um, are so apparent on camera and so obvious in ways that they're not anywhere else. So I think that this is one of those moments where news readers suffer because The Daily Show is not a news reader job. Right. It's it's a really news knower, truth teller. Let's get intimate. I mean, John – Every night, John Stewart would make me laugh. And I didn't usually watch at 11. I usually watched the following morning. I started mm-hmm. my early morning with, you know, Morning Blow oh. and then John Stewart oh, to keep me alive. Right. And, you know, it was so interesting because he would look in the camera and he'd say, meet me at camera three. He'd turn his head, go to another direction. And I thought he was just talking to me because he was that good at it. That doesn't happen all the time. That's a real gift. And it's a gift that comes from someone who understands the media in a way that I don't think Mr. Noah certainly hasn't yet. Uh, maybe he'll grow into it. Maybe he won't. Um, but I think he's a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to remember the people that we get. John Oliver is another one of those people who sees life upside down and really funny. That's right. And his stand-up was hysterical. John Oliver is English. He has that biting English sense of humor. He takes himself not seriously at all. Um, and he's willing to be absurd. I think that that's the one thing I loved about John Stewart. I love about John Oliver. They don't take themselves so seriously that they can't be sent up, that they right. can't laugh at themselves very willingly. And we lose that with comedians right now. A lot of comedians take themselves so damn seriously. It's like, please, people, you're doing comedy. Um, Colbert relaxes and doesn't take himself too seriously.
1: By the uh, way, the... did you hear the big news that in the the beginning of February, I want to say right around February 8th, we will have a new addition to the late night talk show offerings uh, from an old familiar face and actually... Um a a woman, Samantha B, is hosting a new show yeah, on I've TBS seen these
4: promos. I'm anxious to see what shield will come up with me too, but again, this is gonna be fragmentation. You yeah, know that I'm... in the reality of this, this just changes the game so it's more fragmented.
1: Yeah.
4: um, that's the hardest part of media right now. It's a channel's game, and the channels are no longer just big three networks or then it became big four networks. It's everybody's got a channel. And you know they, you can get it online if you're if if they are smart because that's the future. Mobile is the new TV. So yep. if they really want to go there, they've mm-hmm. got to be thinking that way. And CBS and NBC and ABC just seem like dinosaurs um, in so many ways. MSNBC, of course, is is you know a dead on arrival. Oh, uh, horrible network. Yeah. I mean i I think Andy Lack. Um i think he'll be fired i don 't think he'll last because turning m s n b c into today 's show light and breaking news with you know discredited anchor right. is not enough to make me i mean i i i am in the business and I have to watch and I have to say that c n n has gotten my daily business of the television on with no sound yeah Because at least I know that internationally they have bureaus and they'll cover it. Uh, If I see the same MSNBC newscasters doing NBC because they've closed so many bureaus and they don't have the stringer ability. I mean, CNN locked up all the independent stringers. So at least they give you the semblance of an international news team. Right. But it's really interesting to me because I think this is we're in the transition. I mean, I feel like we're right at, if there was the moment to live through the industrial revolution, or the moment that we all live through, because we live through the digital revolution, when things went from analog to digital, and we never thought it could get better than a compact disc, (laughs) and our color TV, only to find Mm. out that, you know, there is this thing called a 4k monitor, and it's Bigger and brighter and more wonderful, and you don't even need a cable box to make it work. That's right. This is the new digital revolution, and um, it'll be an interesting, I think, 10 years. I think this is going to be 10 years of transition out of networks. I think they're dying. Uh, I know why MSNBC made the move with Andy. It did. Yeah. As they like to say, as the Aaron Sorkin quote went from the newsroom, When Jane Fonda, as chairman of the parent entertainment company, said to the head of the news department, you don't understand, I have business before this Congress. Mm -hmm. This is telecommunications business, and they're trying to buy their way into owning um, the transmission of information and data.
1: Oh, my God. Hey, Joel, you know what? I need to interrupt you here to tell you of a story that actually I informed our mutual friend Dave Johnson about, hoping that he's going to look a little uh, more closely into it and uh, write a piece about it for um, uh, ourfuture.org. A story I found on the radio industry website called All Access um, the other day. I'm just going to read to you a little bit. Uh, The National Association of Broadcasters has filed a legal brief with the federal communications commission to support its goal of quote simplifying the broadcast foreign ownership approval process for local radio and television stations.
4: Wow.
1: Yeah. So the NAB is filing a, has filed a legal brief with the FCC in support of its goal of simplifying the broadcast foreign ownership approval process. Again, I want for local radio and TV stations. um, This is, this could turn everything on end. I mean, Rupert Murdoch had to become a U.S. citizen to buy Fox and and, uh, the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal. He couldn't as a foreign citizen. This will change that.
4: This piece, I mean, I'm looking at it now that you just Mm -hmm. sent out. This does not surprise me. Look, I just came off the Nation cruise. I had the best time. Uh, And we talked about, more than anything else, the weakening of the FCC rules are why we have the broadcast we have now. When we let so many people, so few people own Mm -hmm. so many stations and newspapers all at once, we essentially took away the real voice of the people. And now it's control of the information and it's the worst Orwellian nightmare ever. And we have to take it back. This is, this is what I'm charging members of Congress to do every day is to take back the commons, the common airwaves. So this NAB, and of course that's the National Association of Broadcasters, right. which means the owners, think Chamber of Commerce that's of right. Broadcasting, that's right. they're not broadcasters like the National Association of Broadcasters, newsmen. Right. No, this is not a news association. This is an owners association. Think NFL. That's right. Major League Baseball mm-hmm. Broadcast Station Owners. That's right. what the NAB is. And so... The owners have gotten together and said, look, those of us that own this want to sell it for a profit. They're trying to cash out. Foreign investors are looking at an American investment that still has a cash flow. And they're saying, you know, this is the future. And uh, they want to buy. And and-, the,
1: and here's another thing. Um, you know, back. Thank you, Bill Clinton. After the Telecommunications Act of 1996, we had this era of consolidation. Where before that, and I've told this so many times, um, it used to the ownership rules used to be one company could own seven AM, seven FM, and seven television stations, no right. more than one of each per market. Well, those rules were done away with. Where now they can own. Eight radio stations in a single market, in a single city, and just thousands, I mean, around the country. Clear Channel at one point owned, I think, over 1,200. And now, with the, the revenues have dried up. And so now I'm guessing they're all looking to sell off, but there are no domestic buyers. So now they want to find uh, foreigners. I mean, for, for right, right? I'm waiting to hear uh, the pushback from the right, who doesn't want any foreigners on American soil, but they're okay with foreigners owning our media.
4: Well, you're not going to get any pushback from no, the right cause because it has to owners. do with somebody selling something, <laughs> right. and we all know they stand for a free market. Uh, Hello. Yeah. I mean, this is another example of the hypocrisy of the right yep. because they will talk about ferners, as you put it, and yep. so well, but they won't talk about the reality of what has happened to media by weakening the news, by weakening the ability of... Um, channels, and and actually you weaken it by saying to them, um, you don't have to provide any kind of community service. Everything can be profit-based. Right. That's where news really fell apart. Um, I tell the story, like you, I tell stories over and over again, Mm -hmm. hoping that someone will remember. In 1978, when Rune Arledge took over ABC News and ABC Entertainment- and sports, and put it all into ABC Entertainment, that was when the news went from being information to the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and news went into a winners and losers model. Winners and losers model is why we have Horse Race Politics 24-7 on all of our cable news, because this was a Rune Arledge invention. Making news live on a sports model, The news is not sports. We are not competing for which tornado was the worst in Texas. Here's the top five Texas tornadoes. Number one. I mean, what the? I mean, I just don't get it. But that's our mindset. It's all a horse race. And until viewers, listeners, really start sticking their head out the window and do I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, this is what we got
1: you know joel this is this is always uh never reported enough and I know why because the media uh is not going to report on how how the mighty have fallen um, uh, reporters without borders this is the um, uh, the independent uh, society of journalists around the world. they do the reporters without borders news index rankings um every year, and the rankings for 2015, and I've been doing it for like the last 10 years, I've watched the United States fall, 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 fall. So now for 2015, um, the nation that ranks highest in the International Reporters Without Borders Index, you have a guess, best freedom of the press, number one, most free press in the world, Joel. Oh
4: my God, do they call it Al Jazeera now?
1: (laughs) That would be Finland, Followed by, <laughs> followed by Norway, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden, New Zealand, Austria, Canada, Jamaica, Estonia, Ireland, Germany, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Belgium, Costa Rica, Namibia, Poland, Luxembourg, Switzerland, and Iceland. That's the top 21. Then we get into like the yellow. These are like the warning countries. Number 22 is Ghana. Followed by Uruguay. Cyprus, Australia, Portugal, Liechtenstein, Latvia, Suriname, or Suriname, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Uh, Belize, Lithuania, Andorra, Spain comes in at 33, the UK at 34, Slovenia,
2: God. 35.
1: Cape Verde, 36. Eastern Caribbean, 37. Followed by France, South Africa, Samoa, Trinidad and Tobago at 41. Botswana, 42. Chile, 43. Tonga, 44. We're getting there. El Salvador, 45. Burkina Faso, never even heard of it. Sorry. 46. Nigeria, 47. Malta, 48. And coming in at number 49 on the uh, 2015 World Press Freedom Index, the United States.
4: Well, welcome to the War on Terror. Yep. This is, you know, this is the thing. There was a line in the opera De Meister Singer that Hans Sachs says, and it's about freedom, and he says, as soon as people realize how little freedom they have, they begin to care about
1: it. Yeah, well...
4: We we have precious little freedom in this country and we think we have the most because we can buy the most and we have this opulent consumer driven, you know, and if you can't buy it, there's a credit card that will get you an interest rate that you also can't afford that guarantees that you can have whatever it is, the it is. And there are free market economists that tell you that you're buying it as being American because that's how we sustain our consumer-driven economy. All the way around, this is so wrong. And we're now beginning to take a beating in the world court of opinion. The bad news is the United States doesn't give a And that's the hardest thing. Yep. That's the thing that upsets me the most, is that you and I are horrified by this because you and I remember a time when there was journalistic integrity, when radio began, when television began, when BBC and RCA were important letters, uh, meaning they stood for something, when CBS was a Tiffany broadcasting channel. These days are long gone. I'm grateful that I got to see them and live them. And I don't know what people now will, you know, this is, I I keep looking at this. Did you see the thing where the most admired people in the world are Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton? And according to Gallup, the second most admired are the Pope and Donald Trump? Oh, God. That was in the paper this morning. And I read this and I went, are you kidding me? Right. Right. Donald Trump is the second most admired person in the world. This is triumph over, you know, style over substance beyond belief. And this is just name exposure, name exposure, name exposure. You say the name enough times.
1: Well, that's it. And here's the thing. The media, this election cycle, I think more than previous ones, is going berserk over these national polls. And it's all because Fox made the rule, because they had the first debate, and they had the rule, we're going to use the national polls to determine, you know, starting position, who gets to be in the big kids debate, who who needs to sit at the kids table uh, debate, and Ever since then, that's gonna—that's like the gold standard. Ooh, we're relying on national polls. Well, national polls don't mean anything. They're a popularity contest. It's a contest of name recognition. And really, I mean, everything can change. I keep going back to the, you know, who was in the lead at this point in 2004, 2008, 2012 to show everyone, look, Hillary Clinton was inevitable in 2008 too. And, you know, she was the... You know, the heir apparent, as it were. She was the nominee. She was the presumptive nominee until she wasn't, mm-hmm. and, and and it still blows my mind. The media. There was. I I, I got to tell you, one of the best interviews I've seen in the in the last week or so was uh, Bernie Sanders with Chris Cuomo. Did you see this? Yep. When Bernie Sanders called, I'm going to play this segment. It, it just runs a little over a minute, and. Uh, again, all Chris Cuomo wanted to talk about was Donald Trump. This is all they want to talk about. It doesn't matter who's being interviewed. The subject matter is Trump. And Bernie, uh, much to his credit, had enough.
3: Using Donald Trump as a point of contrast, his popularity at this point is inarguable. How he is becoming popular has become a source of a lot of argument and criticism. The most recent volley, what he said about Hillary Clinton's uh, break during the debate, what he said about uh, how he characterized her loss to Barack Obama. You know, you're a guy who grew up in, in Brooklyn. You probably uh, know the word that he used, maybe never heard it used as a verb before. But why is it working so well for him? Well, Chris, you're gonna have to ask the media yep. precisely why. I mean, Trump is a smart guy. He's a media guy. He ran, you know, he did a TV show. I'll give you one example, all right? A recent study showed that on ABC, evening news, Trump, over a period of time, got eighty one minutes of time bernie sanders got twenty seconds amazing now you tell me why and i think it has to do with the fact that that trump is very smart he knows that media is not so interested in the serious issues facing this country they love you know bombastic remarks they love silly remarks if he says that somebody is sweating by my god that is a major story and all that silly business the personal attacks, that kind of works. So I think this is more of an indictment of the media, actually, than it is of Trump.
1: Good for him. I, I agree. It's the me- This is a media creation, and Trump is milking it for everything it's worth, and who can blame him?
4: Well, you know, this is one of those moments where I keep reminding everybody, not only does Bernie get no time on network news. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cited that eighty-one twenty-second. um quote, once once I saw it, I've been using it everywhere. And I've been saying that over and over again um, because it's an important thing to notice. But look, Donald Trump was on The Apprentice for how many years? Too many. 13.
1: (laughs) Wow. I believe
4: it was 13 seasons. I have to look it up, but I think I'm remembering correctly. His average rating was 13 million people per night. So if someone's in your home And playing to 13 million people per week during the season, just do some quick numbers, okay? That means that 13 times 13 (laughs) or 169 million people see him in any 13-week period of time. The average politician does meet the press twice a year to an audience of 1.2 million. Right. That's 169 million to 1.2 million. You, there's no comparison. No comparison. There is no way. You know, this is one of those moments where, you know, we won't run Justin Bieber because thank God he's not old <laughs> enough to be president. And he's president. Canadian. You know, or Lady Gaga because right. she's not old enough right. to be president. But this is what we have with these people that ha I mean, Fred Thompson became a congressman.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Ronald and, Reagan became president.
4: And Look. Ronald Reagan became president in a time when Death Valley days, and he was a lot friendlier than Trump, and truly could not be nominated by today's Republican no. Party. Right. I mean, Ronald Reagan a man who stood for um, many of the things that Democrats pride themselves on today in the center-right Democratic Party, as opposed to our party, the Elizabeth Warren wing, the Bernie Sanders wing, the real Democratic Party. (laughs) Right. Um, But this is, we're dealing in this media celebrity. And the one thing, Bernie's right to indict the media, what we have to finish the indictment. Don't ask the media. Call the media the money whores they are. Call the media the money grubbing. uh, Use that name as many times as possible in an hour because that name alone moves the dials and ticks up the points for ratings. And this is all about the damn ratings and trying to cash in on the election. You're right. When we talk about money in politics it's the media who's going to get the lion's share of that money and you know it's going to be 2 billion dollars pumped into a few companies and those people have business before washington who do you think doesn't want to see accountability and election reform from the cash point of view the media companies right and it's time di- it's time to start calling it out for what it is this is the thing that i when you asked me what's the biggest media story of mm-hmm. 2015 My headline is the death of facts. It's the complete and total death of facts, because now what we have is how large an amplifier can you get to say a lie and once it's in the air, double down on it. That's the Trump, Fiorina, Mm -hmm. every Republican candidate, some Democrats as well, I hate to say it, but true. But the truth is that No one cares anymore. And when the facts are corrected in some written media, the percentage of people that see the corrections is minuscule compared to the number of people who heard the misinformation. This part of it is where the media is terribly, terribly dangerous and where we have failed. The reason we cared about... Accuracy in news. The reason we cared about all of those things is because people that started broadcasting understood its power. They understood they were holding a weapon in their hands when they owned a broadcast channel, that they could put out in a moment faulty information. People don't remember the radio program, The Invasion from Mars that panicked the whole country. was a dramatic program. Uh, The War of the Worlds, right? Right, War of the Worlds, and people thought it was the truth. No one tells that story anymore, but that is an example of kind of why you don't shout fire in a theater. Right. Because that's what the media is doing right now. The media can shout fire, and no one... It, everybody believes it and runs. So now the media shouts the word for fire this year is terror. Yeah. And the media shouts terror, and everybody's willing to trade in every civil right they've ever had to feel secure. And in truth, there are more Christian extremists killing more people than terrorists ever have in America. Yes. And right. they do it with one the one thing that they all have in common, which is they had a gun. Yeah. But the media has distorted this and made people afraid, frankly, of the wrong thing. But they've used it so that they could command their attention. And when I look at what I've seen in my lifetime, the Bush One administration, when they did their famous shock and awe, was a TV event. It was scheduled for primetime. It was made so that we could live watch this fireworks display that rivaled right. Macy's. Oh, I
1: remember that. Yep.
4: And and I, was, I remember so off. well standing in a lobby of an L.A. hotel, because I was in L.A. at the time, casting one of the big galas I was producing in the 80s. And I was in this hotel lobby, and everybody was watching this big television, mm-hmm. cheering. Right you know oh going USA USA and i remember standing staring at the screen crying uh, because we were glorifying a bombing yeah rather than understanding the horrors of war
1: that is the great joel silberman find him on the twitters at joel silberman with the b not a v and at democracypartners.com. He's also on my program, The Nicole Sandler Show, every Monday morning from 1030 to 11 ish Eastern at radioornot.com. If you want to hear the whole conversation, just come on over to radioornot.com. It's there for the taken. That's going to do it for this first show of our week long look back at 2015. Today, of course, the media. We'll do it again tomorrow as I, I continue our look back at the year almost gone by. Once again, I'm Nicole Sandler. Find me on the Twitters at Nicole Sandler, always at RadioOrNot.com, and here this week, filling in on the broadcast. Till tomorrow, good luck, world.